0: Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having a casual conversation about the things of eternity. We welcome you into that conversation. How are you doing today, brother? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. You've, got, uh, you've been working on a good project, the Hebrew. Uh, you've got the Hebrew Book of Mormon online. Digitized. Digitized, which means what to our non-technical listeners. Uh, I took the
1: text that was just printed in a book and got it through several stages to where it's going to be searchable and, and available just like the English version is. Um, not just read it on a page, but be able to take verse by verse, word by word, and do things with it.
0: And hopefully it will be a tool that somehow can get into the hands of our brothers that are in, of the house of Israel and Jerusalem and other places in the world to see the Hebrew nature of the Book of Mormon
1: bloom where you're planted man we've only got so many days and breaths and whatever <laughs> if we can do something right you know try it see if it
0: works i was going to ask you last episode we talked a little bit about third nephi 9 and 10 and <clears throat> i realized when i read it this time at the very beginning of that it talks about the house of israel or joseph maybe uh, being among us gentiles as a lion and um and then later on, it talks about that again. And I wondered if that whole section of prophecy was a chiasm maybe of leading up to something. I don't know if you've ever studied that section. Yep,
1: it is. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> do
0: you remember the main point off the top of your head? Um,
1: the Well, it's part of a huge chiasm that goes through several chapters of, of that. But this remnant who comes among them um, I don't know. It's a piece. It's a piece of multiple pieces. I I don't know if you want to go too far down no. that hole right now, but it is.
0: Okay. Well, something maybe we can touch on at a later time as but we go. If yeah. you read those, or if you ended up reading that last time based on our discussion nine and ten, look for that those two things. Anyway, stuck out to me uh, as being repetitive, and I wondered how that fit in uh, today.
1: Well, I was just going to say, if you want to, you can go to Restore Gospel, and I think you can find it under the study section or the search section. I, I'll just look real quick to see. I can't remember which one it is. Okay. But, but this topic on the left sidebar is the Hebrew chiasm of Jesus' prophecy under the study section, and click on that, and you can see quite a bit of the chiasms involved there.
0: If you get to that page and you just email me that link, I'll include it, that exact page in the show notes today. We'll do. People can do a one-click one-stop shop. Yep. Anyway, <clears throat> we ended last show talking about um, how just like many groups of people that we as the Restoration need to return to the Book of Mormon, the truths and what it teaches and allow the kingdom of God and, and its plain and precious simpleness come unto us and under our house and under us individually That that truly we are – changed in the inner man and given that heart of love and charity for our fellow man that is the driving force in all that we do. Um, I was listening to a podcast on the Bible Project, and they were talking about, as they often do, understanding the Word of God in the Bible um, and how understanding the Hebrew culture and Middle Eastern culture at the time and even the language uh, helps us understand what that Word was meant, and how it was intended, and how we can't just take those words and thoughts and plop them down into our language today, because our meaning isn't the same. An example of this was in Sunday school a few weeks ago. Uh, one of the the pastor took questions from our congregation uh, anonymous and just wrote. Uh, some questions that people had that we could discuss together. And he uh, uh, implored us to not just bring your ideas, but to come to class with scripture and references and and reasons for why you believe uh, your answers that you're giving. One question was, how can I be perfect like Jesus when I'm so, you know, when I fall so often because we're commanded to be perfect. And taking that Language that Jesus, I think he spoke it in fourth or fifth chapter of Matthew um, to be perfect, even as he is perfect. And when you combine that. With what they thought about at the time, perfection didn't mean we take that word perfection in our modern language. And what does that mean to it you, means Corey?
1: With no imperfection, it's like uh, you know the, the perfect circle or the perfect, you know, we're, we're polished and clean, and there's not a single element of sin. But even greater than sin, not not greater than sin, but in addition to sin, there's like everything is correct about us.
0: Yeah, in school, if you get back a paper and it says you got a perfect score, what does that mean? Yeah, you got the hundred. Not one wrong, wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Not one wrong answer. Uh, if you if you played a perfect game on the court and you, you just everything was right, you didn't mess up once. You, mm-hmm. you had a perfect game. Uh, uh, what baseball? You pitch a perfect game. That means not one person got a hit off of you. Right. The perfection that <clears throat> we look at in that culture and really is explained by the Bible in Hebrews, it talks about how if you could have been perfected by sacrificing animals, you wouldn't have to keep doing it again and again. Uh-huh. And that word perfection to them meant complete, without sin. And and so that doesn't mean that we somehow learn how to go from sun up to sundown without ever having a sinful thought or a sinful deed or without ever falling. It means that, we are perfect because Jesus's blood does cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we come to him, and we don't have to continually sacrifice an animal. And I didn't, something I pulled out from this, I thought like when they sacrificed the animal, their sins were gone. No, it wasn't. That's why they had to do it again and again. It was to point them to, to Christ and and to the futility of having to do this over and over that you couldn't be perfected.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a whole different set of standards, that, and I'm not, just saying this, that the Book of Mormon talks about they're they're judged under the law that they lived under, and they were judged differently under the Mosaic law, which was temporary. It was fulfilled in Christ when he died, but it all pointed towards salvation through Christ. Salvation did not come through animals. They were simply a type and shadow to teach. That's the big mistake Israel made. They thought somehow, you know, atonement was coming through the death of a goat, and it's like, you know, you think about that. A a goat was so powerful that it could atone for our sin. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's foolish when you consider it in those terms. But that's where Israel was because they don't have the greater answer of Jesus Christ. They will someday.
0: The book of Hebrews in the Bible, there's, it says 14 times in the New Testament, the word perfect is mentioned. Nine of those is in Hebrews. So the majority of them are in this one book. And and that's right. So if you read the book, you kind of get, uh, a better idea of what this word meant, and then maybe it, it reflects on that scripture when we're called to be perfect. It says that um, in Hebrews the 10, verse one says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Uh-huh. Can you imagine coming to um, to, to Sunday worship uh, and even sacrament service and go through that knowing that you're leaving unclean and not not made perfect, not made clean, not forgiven?
1: You know, isn't that something? That we, we don't, um, we've never lived under that culture, and yet, uh, yeah, I can't imagine. No, I, I really can't.
0: So Hebrews, I'm, I'm reading from some research on the internet and <clears throat> you can find this, but the meaning of perfect in Hebrews, um, means free from sin and that Jesus dying, um, allows us to be free from sin. That's, that's what the perfection means in that, um, it says they would have ceased to offer sacrifices if that could have made them clean from sin. Mm. So to be cleansed from sin, that's a different idea than of trying to live, like I said, all day without doing any, any mess ups or anything, but, but to be perfected through Christ. So just, that's one example of how language uh, changes um, how we see things. All of this to be said we have this great gift in the Book of Mormon that I think uh, will be interesting to talk about after we, we listen to this uh, podcast clip. So this is about um, seven minutes long, and it is something you may have to listen to a couple times because it's hard to come into a conversation. But um, I think I'll just let this let this play, see what we think here.
2: And just to fill out that reference you're making at the end, you're referring to two Hebrew Bible scholars, both named John, both of whom have been hugely influential on me mm-hmm. and us and the Bible Project. Mm-hmm. So John Sailhammer was a luminary in Hebrew Bible studies. He had a pointed and intentionally provocative way of raising this issue. He really believed, and he grew up in an era where his kind of circle in biblical studies had really been over-influenced by the importance of ancient Near Eastern studies. And it had really overshadowed studying the literary artistry and the biblical theological kind of developing ideas throughout the story of the Hebrew Bible. And so he was kind of offering a corrective and saying, you actually don't need a lot of this Ancient Near Eastern historical context To read the Hebrew Bible He loved to make that point <laughs> And mm-hmm. to agitate people <laughs> And in one sense And I've learned He's right And that's the point I was trying to get at Right
3: Because I was actually asking you mm-hmm. In a very pointed way Of like you know What if we didn't have this And I remember referencing There was a debate going on in our undergrad Yes that's right Of whether or not you did need it
2: That's right And the person in our college Professor Ray Lubeck Who was offering a perspective Saying yeah you don't need Ancient Near Eastern history as much as you might think. Mm -hmm. He was a student of John Selhammer. (laughs) So so here's the thing, and this is related to the question just right before. The meaning of words is determined by their usage. And so if you're reading the Hebrew Bible... And you start at page one, and if you're reading in Hebrew, you can build up an internal growing dictionary. Yeah.
3: You could do it in English, too. It's just a lot more work, because you have to constantly go reference it.
2: Well, exactly. So, let's just do a thought experiment. Okay. Let's say you do it in Hebrew, but it's, you're an English speaker doing yes. it. But this would be the case if you were... Speaking any other language. It, yeah. Spanish, French, whatever. So, uh, you could just get a Hebrew Bible, Hebrew dictionary, and start cranking. And if you let the meanings of words define themselves as the Hebrew Bible develops, you would would get a lot. And if you let your imagination hyperlink things the way you're supposed to as you go through the story of the Bible, you would be able to track fully. But here's the problem. That's impossible that that would ever happen because um, none of us are living speakers of ancient biblical Hebrew.
3: Wait, what's impossible?
2: Oh, the little thought experiment that I'm saying is impossible. If you went to a deserted island and you had just the Hebrew Bible and a Hebrew dictionary,
3: Why is that impossible?
2: It's impossible because anybody doing that is coming in thinking in another language than ancient biblical Hebrew. But isn't the
3: idea that, yes, I'm thinking in another language, but I want to then... Explore these words to help me form yeah, a new
2: way of thinking. Totally. Yes. But as you do that, you will unknowingly, yeah, without inevitably. even realizing it, import your modern spoken language meanings into these words that you're reading.
3: Yes. But then you do it again. Yep. And maybe it just continues to kind yep, of reform right. itself that's until exactly a lifetime
2: right. of that you get closer and closer. No, I think that's true. And so the question is, what are some other additional tools that can help us get closer? Faster. And faster. And can expose the ways that I'm importing Modern concepts it. into the Hebrew Bible. So it's or impossible the New too
3: strong then maybe. Oh well,
2: it's slow. It's slow, and it's inefficient. Okay, you're right. I guess I was being provocative. But I'm just saying, it's not possible that anybody could do that on the first try. No, yes, on the first try, no. Because language is an expression of culture. Probably not on
3: your third or fourth try either.
2: No, I mean, no. Maybe by
3: the end of your life, you may have gotten somewhat close. If you're doing a community of people
2: for thousands of years,
3: you're probably getting really, really close. Yeah,
2: totally. So this is where the work of a scholar like John Walton I have found so helpful. Yeah. Because what he's able to say is say, look, here's this biblical Hebrew word. Here's how it's it's used notice that it's really different than how our English translation word what it means and lo and behold what the Hebrew word means is very similar to the concept of creation in Babylon and in Egypt it's the fast pass yeah it's a fast pass and it's helping see that biblical Hebrew and biblical thought had lots of similarities and differences with the cultures and languages around them so for me actually the chaos dragon is a good example and it's an example of where my thinking has developed since we had those conversations two years ago Hmm. so when we're talking about the Chaos Dragon and the defeat, Marduk's defeat of Tiamat yeah. in Enuma Elish, and then I brought up how Genesis 1, there's no battle, mm-hmm. the only sea dragon there. Is in God's order. Yeah, is a, is a creature God yeah. makes in Genesis 121. But then I brought up Psalm 74, mm-hmm. which talks about God splitting the heads of the sea dragon. Mm-hmm. And it's connected in some way with creation because hmm. he says yours is the night. Yours also is the day. Mm-hmm. And it's about God establishing order. And uh, this is where I'm at currently. I think it's intentional and important that Genesis 1 is starting the Hebrew Bible with no conflict narrative. Mm-hmm. The darkness and the chaos waters are a neutral canvas. That was your term. And I like that. They're not an enemy. They're a neutral canvas. And the only dragon around is no threat in Genesis 1. Yeah. However, after God makes the creatures, there does turn out to be a rebel creature Mm. in the garden. Yeah. A reptile. Mm -hmm. Yep. A snake. And it tries to usurp God's authority and human's authority and all that. That's the Eden narrative. And so God says, like, hey, um, there's going to be hostility between the seed of the woman and the snake and its seed going on. And, you know, there's going to come an ultimate showdown Mm. between the snake and chosen line. So there will be a battle. There will be a battle. With a dragon. Exactly. And so as you go throughout, then, the Cain narrative teaches you that humans, by their moral choices, Mm. can align themselves with the seed of the woman or the seed of the snake. Cain becomes the seed of the snake. He builds the first city. Ham becomes another snakeling (laughs) through his choices. Mm. And his descendant builds Babylon. Mm. Oh, and then Egypt and Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 1 becomes the shrewd snake Hmm. who tries to stamp out and enslave God's chosen ones, the blessed Israelites there. So you get this portrait that the nations and the empires that Israel suffered under, Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, were taken over by the snake. Uh So Psalm 74 Mm -hmm. is about the response to the destruction of the temple by Babylon. Hmm. In the book of Isaiah, Rahab, who we talked about, is the seed dragon there referring to Egypt Mm -hmm. in the Exodus. And so what's interesting, it's like the Marduk battle against Tiamat. That theme's been repurposed in the Hebrew Bible. Mm. To talk about God's victory, not over the forces of creation, but over the forces of rebellion within creation. Mm. And it's about God's ultimate victory over the snake. So it's a good example of how if you only look at ancient Near Eastern parallels of the battle with Marduk and Tiamat, you won't fully get what the Hebrew Bible is uniquely doing. Mm. And to do that, you need to pull the, a John Salehammer. <laughs> but to understand the broader context, you need to pull a John Walton. Sure, You need both perspectives. Yes, you
3: need both. I love that. And I, But I think part of the thought experiment of can you just do it with a Bible dictionary yeah. and yeah. a translation yeah. is to say, for a normal Christian, do you have to become some sort of archaeologist or like historian? Right. And yeah. what you're saying is, what a great gift that, you know, it really does help. Yeah. But the other side of it is like, actually, you you can do it it's just a lot of work yeah and you can do it
2: yeah you can do it even in your own first language it just takes a lot of patient rereading and trying to be self-critical that you aren't importing modern meetings and ideas into old new testament which
3: is really tricky
2: it is you see so you need help which is why yeah. there's the wonderful world of biblical studies
0: we have a great gift the book of mormon that imports into our language uh the meaning of the gospel Without, um, without having to go back into a culture or study those types of things to make sure you are not erring. Just like it's really easy to read a scripture where God commands you to be perfect and feel bad about yourself and continually failing without reading the whole story, which is which is explained in Hebrews. But that's where. Uh, you have to know that, and you have to look at the bigger picture, which that book's far away from the book of Matthew if you're going through the Bible, uh, to get understanding into that. And so if you just read Matthew and stop there, it's like, whoa, how in the world can I live up to that expectation?
1: Yeah, and like they point out in the Book of Mormon, like blasts through this, Nephi writes, Behold, Isaiah spake many things which were hard for my people to understand, for they knew not concerning the manner of prophesying among the Jews. And it's it's interesting that he's pointing out that here Isaiah is writing, but he's writing in a way that was only understood by the Jews, you know. And then he takes this further to say, I haven't taught them in the manner of the Jews. Their works were darkness. Their doings were doings of abomination. He said, but I'm going to tell you plainly what, the, what this story is.
0: Yeah. I... I like that um I just wish I could talk to these these guys and see what their input would be on the the book of mormon and some of the things they that they've discovered through hebrew language and understanding culture that it's just popped right out into english
1: if you could show them the book of mormon it would be if you could get to that point where they could look at it unbiased It would be a fascinating discussion. The problem is like 99.9% of everyone else in the world, they don't know the Book of Mormon. They know Mormonism. And that's the problem Mm -hmm. is that they're thinking, you know, sealed in these temples are wearing these white puffy garments and, you know, pointed hats and, and all these other things that have gone on with Mormonism and trying to justify polygamy and all these things. None of them have anything to do with the Book of Mormon, but that's what's pushed forward by the Gentiles who've corrupted this message.
0: Right. Yeah. So um, I I think, I don't know who the person was that sent that question in and that we discussed, but I I wonder what was surrounding them to cause them to ask that question. Mm. If it was a a sense of self doubt or self failure or uh, not living up to expectations of, of what God has or not being qualified maybe for the celestial glory as, has been taught in the history of the church. I don't know, but you see how we can stumble by just picking out a scripture uh, in that Hebrew context, and and certainly you can find what that means if you're a student of the scriptures and you're really into it and learning. But like we said, you got to go to another book in Hebrews and kind of, th- and then you have to make the connection. Oh, that's what it meant about perfect. And, and is that ever going to happen? I don't know. Maybe or maybe if you sit in enough classes. But if we can. Uh, get our people uh, to read the Book of Mormon and see what it says about all of this, then uh, we don't have to worry about that because it's a very, we always go back to the purpose. It's it's to convince the Jew and the Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, to restore the plain and precious truths that were removed through the gospel over the ages and to to help us not to stumble and to be the standard for coming to Christ in these days.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And it's so clear that, it cuts through all this culture and everything that we don't really need to understand about. It's great if we do, but it's essential to understand it. If we take the Bible as our only method of trying to understand prophecy, we got to understand the culture it came from. And that's the problem with most of the evangelical churches and the way they teach is that they often don't, they'll take a scripture out of context and they'll teach it as the gospel and there's nothing else you need to know, you know, just, A, um, declare with your mouth that Jesus is the Christ and you'll be saved. You know, that's the kind of thing that's stated, not reading it in context for why it was said and how it came to be said and, and all the other elements of, of faith surrounding that, you know, and those are the the problems we have that we don't
0: get when we read the book of Mormon. So last week you mentioned, um, well, we talked about maybe looking at what that is, uh, we were talking about how us as restoration culture, we've stumbled and we've done the same thing as the 1830s. We've, we've left the book of Mormon and the message. And so we talk about if we want to use the the cultural term building Zion, what does that mean? Well, Mm. it's, it's allowing the message of the book of Mormon to change you and allowing the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven to come into your household, to come into your, your own life. and, and you'll know that by certain markers, I think, that your love for mankind is just overflowing as if that white fruit from the tree that Lehi partook of. That's, it's important to, to see that. And if that's not present in your life, then there's really nothing else you need to worry about building other than that, allowing that kingdom to be built in you by, by the Lord. And, and that seems so simple, but really uh, we've seen failure after failure after failure for people that try to overjump that step. And it's nothing good is going to come without that foundation. So, yeah. returning to the Book of Mormon, you've got something that you've been reaching on uh, or, or working on, and it and it's called twenty truths or, or so, so or so from the <laughs> Book of Mormon that Mormons can't teach. Twenty truths about the Book of Mormon the Restoration doesn't teach. Yeah, well, so, let's let's go through some of these, Corey, and see just uh, have a good discussion about that. Yeah, what was your uh, thought on? bringing that together?
1: Um, just really the title is, is the thought because I realized that one, I, I look at the Mormons, you know, God love them and realize they're, they're trying to juggle two like completely opposite doctrines. And yet they don't focus on the book of Mormon as doctrine. They focus on everything Brigham Young taught as doctrine. And that sur- Plants or passes, I don't know that that carries more weight than anything from the Book of Mormon, and they can't reconcile the two and they don't see it. And so, this comes back to the Book of Mormon. There's a man, John DeLynn, who has this Mormon stories podcast. I don't want to go there or play any of it, but um, his point is he was excommunicated, and even before he was from the LDS church he was interviewing people who had left the Mormon church to understand why. And he's continuing in this vein now with greater power since he's been excommunicated. But the point is that, um, he's, he's interviewing people who left the church and what he never points out. And I don't even think he realizes is that what the people are leaving is Mormonism, but what they want is the Book of Mormon. Everyone wants to find Christ. Everyone wants to find this change of heart and these these things that are true. And it's like they're realizing that's where the truth is, but then they're going in a completely opposite direction now to find it. And it's like, no, it was in the Book of Mormon. It was in this book your church had but didn't really teach from.
0: He's, He's interesting because he's left the church, and he's asking people why they left the church. And at the same time, even though he's left the church, he's using the Book of Mormon to show how they're not following their own doctrine, correct? Yeah. And different examples. <laughs> yeah, at times.
1: So the the focus I'd like, though, is more about the restoration and, and how we can improve things because here's, you know, we won't get to them all, but, you know, 20 truths, there's probably more than that that the restoration doesn't teach. The restoration can't teach truth until it teaches the principles of the Book of Mormon. That is That is the fact. And this is where I'm at in my life. Um, I don't say I've understood this my whole life, but this is what I'm realizing becomes very clear now. So the truth number one, the Book of Mormon teaches clearly who Jesus is. And this is something where some people will say, ah, uh, let's not talk about that. That just causes strife. You know, Some people have their idea. They'll find out. No, it's like, maybe that's true. Maybe the Gentiles have argued about this thing and maybe they've argued it incorrectly. But the, if it doesn't mean anything to you right now, know that it's going to be the most important thing to Israel when they read this and when they learn this. Yeah. And this is why it's important is because it's going to change the heart of Israel. Jesus is God, the eternal father in the flesh. This is what the book of Mormon teaches. Every writer says this. And
0: what you just said was was really important that we, we can't do anything else unless we've... Uh, Come to these truths first as the restoration. And so that this is where we, I think we pick up off of our multi-part series on Zion is uh, we've got to, whenever you hear that word, um, build Zion, I think if we can click in our mind like, have we got these truths of the Book of Mormon down yet? Otherwise, we're not doing any good. Anything else you think that phrase means building Zion, this right here for us, I think, is um, pertinent and, and relevant to what buildings I am means in my day to day life and in my family's life and my church.
1: Yeah, excellent, excellent. So
0: you know, that yeah, that <clears throat> you mentioned just that <clears throat> we're afraid to talk about this this first truth because it may cause division or strife. Or well, I mean, can we have any worse division or strife than we've already had?
1: <laughs> really, it's like, yeah, who cares if I, we knock this around every week, right?
0: I, I suppose we we can, and and maybe we're trying to protect what little. Uh, unity we may have in our local congregation or as a knit of a few congregations that kind of have flocked together because of their common beliefs. But um, w- what are we really preserving at this point?
1: Yeah. Well, that's why we have to come back to this book. You know,
0: the well, book, the book
1: of Mormon teaches that um, ether records the brother Jared's experience. And it's very concise you know, God the Father speaking to the brother of Jared, then a finger touches the stones. This transformation of God who is this almighty, the powerful Elohim becomes this God of mercy, the Adonai, standing in front of him. And that's told throughout the scriptures in many ways. But this idea that he's one and the same is very, very important. His spirit is what... Yeah, i mean, his his physical body and his his spirit, it, it's all connected and it's all back to God. But more specifically, the problem in the restoration right now is we teach God, Jesus, Spirit, our three separate people. We use that word people. Mm-hmm. There's 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 three separate conscious beings. Um, and this mainly comes through the New Testament, but it's lost it's caused us to lose our understanding. The meaning has been lost regarding this. And um, maybe this is the time to do it. I, I don't want to um, just line up scriptures and then shoot them down as if the, the scriptures are capable of being incorrect. But but I know there are points of doctrine that we don't understand that aren't doctrine that, are, that were made and shared. And some of them, they're basically in the Bible. Um, I'm no expert, so I, I can't speak with any authority on this. But it appears when the when when we're told in the Book of Mormon by Nephi that some things were changed in the Book of Mor- in the in the Bible rather, uh, the Book of Mormon came so we wouldn't stumble. We have to take the Book of Mormon first and learn from that, and then we can go back and try to understand some things in the Bible. As I've done that process, then I start to realize certain things that not not taking this chronologically but taking for instance Joseph Smith's experience in the grove i just saw a little video from a very well done youtube video made by the lds church and it's a huge painting of joseph kneeling before two personages well where did the two personages come in they came in by a guy named john wentworth who wrote this letter about Joseph Smith's experience, which seems to have taken more precedence than Joseph Smith's own testimony about it. And John Wentworth writes about two personages. Well, that was just shortly after uh, Joseph's experience in the grove. Joseph's experience in the grove is one personage, and he introduces himself as Jesus Christ. When you see Jesus, when you see the physical, that means capable of walking with two legs on the earth, view of God It is as Jesus, right? Because that's how he comes to us to physically be with us because we can't be with him because of our imperfection. So he comes to be with us as Jesus. And why
0: he'll return to be among us in Zion as we help people become perfected and learn of the ways of his kingdom that he'll be able to dwell among us then as well
1: Yeah. before
0: the complete new heaven and earth.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like you pointed out in that parable of the olive tree, at first there's this master talking to the servant, and then they're like one. There's mm-hmm. just one person in the end, and this is this is part of this.
0: But and uh, real quick, you know, go ahead, keep your uh, thought process. But uh, why is this important? You sent me an email uh, a, a week or so ago about one for Israel's website, and oh, yeah. you highlighted what did that say on the very. They said that they came from a variety of backgrounds, liberal, conservative, different theological um, um, backgrounds. But what did they agree on? To put on their website.
1: Oh my gosh, this is this is great. Um, okay, so that's a great question. I'm going to read from oneforisrael.org's website. And without saying a whole lot about them, just know that they're a diverse group of people. They are converted Jews. They are Arabs, which, if <laughs> you know, Jews and Arabs, they don't normally get along, who, who are bonded together in Christ. But this is what they say, and this is it oneforisrael.org under their uh, response to biblical questions. And it states this, why we do not answer or debate over theological inquiries. The OFI team, that's one for Israel team, is is an amazing and remarkably diverse crew. We come from many different backgrounds and hold a variety of different theological perspectives with respect to the secondary issues of our faith. Now it's interesting the secondary issues. There are, however, core theological truths that bind us together. I want to stop right there and think, okay, so if we if we asked among the community of Christ or the restoration, what are our core theological things that hold us together? You know, we'd get things that could just range across the map, right? It could be a lot of different things. And some people would go back to documents written in the 1800s, and some people would just go to whatever they're thinking Mm -hmm. today. But nevertheless, here's what One for Israel says. And they they say, we don't debate this. We we all, no matter how diverse we are, I mean, Jews and Arabs are about as radically different as you can get. They say, this is what binds us together. (laughs) We believe that God became flesh to dwell among us, (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, that Yeshua died for our sins and rose again on the third day.
0: Yeah, and what what was Abinadi killed for? That God himself shall come down and dwell among us in um, flesh.
1: Exactly, exactly. And it's like, the we're one of these things, the people who are holding out on this, who, who don't get it yet, um, just realize the Jews are already beyond us. Even for as long as they've struggled and stuff, the ones that are coming to Christ... Understand that God became flesh, and this is not um, something that I even care to debate among Gentiles anymore because I realize all we're going to do is fight and argue, probably. Uh, well, yep,
0: yeah, rest, Quote restoration Gentiles, exactly, perhaps not evangelical, yeah, yeah, you're right,
1: and that's in the restoration, it's kind of like. I get that some people are so steeped in tradition that they can't see it any other way. I have hope for them, but I also realize things are what they
0: are. But the great prophet felt it worthy to give up his life to make this truth known to the people. His last words, it doesn't matter if I die, this message has to get out. God himself will take on flesh and blood and come down and dwell among men and be atoned for their sins and die for them. And that's the one truth that Israel has already, at least this group, who has millions of YouTube views, has, has latched on We're not going to debate doctrine. We simply state we agree on this, God himself.
1: And, and you know what's interesting about that, Mike, coming from One for Israel? I'm glad you pointed out their YouTube stuff. I don't speak Hebrew, but when I listen to their English-Hebrew renditions of this, because I realize they're speaking to us Americans, there's a soft sell when they're talking about this god who became flesh it's kind of like they're not pushing it so hard but when they're doing their hebrew versions of it to jews it's direct and mm. it's powerful and there's no it's it's obviously the point of their message and i i think that's telling because it's it's saying to me that no among themselves they're promoting this is this is the thing you got to understand. And when they're speaking in English to us, they're realizing, you know what, you Americans, you're still a little bit stupid. And and right. this is, this is where you're at. So we'll, we'll come down to your level.
0: And if we ever hope of even being part of the plan of, of taking the book of Mormon, not the book, taking the message of the book of Mormon um, to remnants of them, um, <laughs> we should probably be, uh, standardized and understand in our hearts this one point and not, not be convoluted and not, not speak around it or out both sides of our mouth, but to be very, very clear that this is a core belief that we hold to and understand. Oh, Otherwise, amen. what, what type of uh, impact will we have? If amen. our testimony doesn't bear out what the words say.
1: Amen. You know, I looked at both the LDS and RLDS websites, community of Christ, whatever, and I'm not going to go there right now, but when I, look up you know this is what we believe the nature of god both both of these churches the two major groups who have the book of mormon among the gentiles right now and they both take this view that god is three distinct separate people and you know what's interesting is there's words like the um oh the triune god Uh, Trinity, (laughs) you know. Remember that
0: car with the bumper stickers? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Where is the (laughs) Trinity? (laughs) There there is no triune. I'll die on that mountain. (laughs) Yeah,
1: they don't, those words don't exist in scripture, but they've crept into our thinking. And, you know, you go to one church and they're teaching well, it's kind of a triune and he's one, or it's a triune and he's three. And it's like, the, the Book of Mormon tells it clearly. And again, until we, come to this understanding, and like you said so well, you know, we have to embrace this collectively as a people with, with no differentiation that this God became Jesus Christ to die for our sin. The creator of eternity came in the flesh because that was the only way our sin could be overcome. And it wasn't that just this surrogate who was sent, you know, it wasn't just another person. It wasn't a committee. It's like, well, who's going to volunteer today? Um, There's scripture that you might say conflicts with that, and we'll we'll try to deal with that. And I'm glad you have um, made it so that we can spend as much time on these topics because yeah. I, I don't want to just rush through this necessarily either. There's there's a lot of meaning here, and, and it's important that we see, and we'll take as much time as we need.
0: Sure. Um, just uh quickly... Talking about this, what does this do to us? <clears throat> if you don't have, if you don't have this understanding, and somehow you hold more, even if you don't recognize it, to what you just read off of the the uh, websites for both these churches, because we've we've grown up in this culture—a uh, triune, three distinctive, separate—you know, whatever. What does that um, do to us philosophically with our view of? Uh, who we are and where we're going and where we're going to end up uh, as if there is a great God. And then there's a little bit lesser God. (laughs) And then there's one that's quite a bit lesser that doesn't even have a body, but gives you some warm feelings and things (laughs) that, and based on who you are and what you've done is where, which God you get to be with. And that is just that that may sound oversimplified, but really, when you get down to it, that's the philosophy we've been that's everything and brought up
1: with. That's everything the restoration focuses on
0: right now. Yeah, and and so when when I'm rubbing shoulders with my fellow saints, I want to make sure I'm with the best God, quote <laughs> the Father. And in order to be with the best God, I've got to be show that I stand out, that I'm a little bit better. And and I know that there has to be uh, people that are um, not good enough to be with the best God. They're going to be with the second best God. And so I just need to make sure I'm better than them. And that it just affects how we view one another and how we compete, even though we wouldn't even admit it. It's it's built into our DNA that that's how we go about life and what our challenge is and where we're trying to get to. Exactly.
1: Exactly we just
0: we just went through the whole uh, restructuring of our company, and now they give out raises and there's only so much that can go into the top realm, and so you've you've got to be better than your cohorts doesn't matter if you're doing a good job, it's just how you're viewed as being better than to get that top thing because there's only so much to go around and that's it may be not a great analogy, but I think it does cross over into what we view each other's role as in the church and that. I need to be in that top that yeah. top god and and yeah and the,
1: and the top god was always taught by your merits and this ultimately comes back to this idea that the point of salvation is that sin has to be removed and if sin is removed we can be fully restored to the presence of God the creator if it's not removed we can never be restored to him and and that's this that's why this is so important because it takes us back to what is truth and what is important is that the problem is our sin. We had no remedy for it. The only remedy was that the very creator came down and took on flesh, risking, you know, I can't even put it in words, but the, the point being Without his sacrifice, there was no hope for salvation. There was no plan B. There was no other way. And yet he makes it so easy that all we had to do was look unto him, you know, ultimately, and and let his work in us. And that change can make us so that when we stand before him, he'll say, you were the more righteous. You, I can remove all your sin. Here's a white robe, right?
0: Yeah. In, in studying just a little bit, we talked a, a while ago about perfection and what that meant in, in the Hebrew concept was that to be uh, perfect or complete, that meant that you had no recollection of your sin and that when you, when you would sacrifice mm. the animals, that you still had the recollection of your sin and needing to do that again. And so you weren't, you weren't perfected because you still recall that you were in that sinful state and that that's not what their understanding of it meant. It meant that you would be free to worship and be in the presence of, and be, uh, have no recollection of sin because it was removed. Right.
1: I, I want to share something from a conversation I had with a brother, uh, not that long ago regarding this topic. And, um, he and I were coming at this from different aspects. And his point was that, no, he had this testimony that, you know, there were three separate beings. And yet in this in this sharing of this testimony, he said, and I know that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, he said, God revealed to me that it was Jesus Christ with them in the garden. And and the point is he's hundred percent correct because when God stands on the earth, Physically, he stands as Jesus Christ. And that was the point is that, um, and and he saw that differently, that somehow, oh, it was like a surrogate sent and God was still in heaven and everything. And then Jesus was on earth. That's because we're trying to fit a greater concept about God and who he is into our minds thinking, well, how can he be two places at once? It's not possible. You know, how could he leave heaven and be here? Who is he praying to in that garden anyhow?
0: And that's, I think that's where we get, uh, we can, it can be dangerous taking our language and our, Uh, laws and and understanding of science (laughs) and, and how my mom and dad had me and how we can all be in one place at once or separate places. And you can't, you can't take all of those things and carry them over into the um, eternal realm. It's, It's like, how many sermons have you, have you heard? Well, what's what what would be the greater sacrifice, sending your son off to war to die, or going yourself? Well, it would hurt more to send your your son off. To, we would all that doesn't even carry over into the realm of of God. Number one, the Creator is eternal, right. and we don't understand eternity other than uh, well, we don't understand it. And so, at some point, I think the beautiful thing is is when, when the disciples were like, well, show us the Father. And he's like, if you've seen me, you've <laughs> seen the Father. He's like, the whole reason, because God is so majestic in everything, the great thing about, about the truth is that I've come down to show you who I am in, in a way that you can understand in this physical form and uh, – I'm not like one of these Greek gods that lives out here. That's finicky. Like I'm showing you who I am, the love that I have for you. So mm. understand God through me. This is why I'm here in the flesh. Mm. Mm. If you've seen the, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So this, I am. I am the Creator.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful.
0: But when, yeah, when we. Well, there's a lot of scriptures. I've heard arguments, and we've discussed some of them. You know, praying in the garden. To you know, how does he pray to himself, or how can he be two places at once? Well, because he's he's God and he's eternal, so yeah. he's really not two places at once. He's everywhere all the time. And, <laughs>
1: and you know, and that's one of those <clears throat> simple. <clears throat> that's one of those simple answers. That yet, you know, uh, it's sort of a simple question, and I guess simple questions get simple answers too. But it's one of these things where it's like for one it 's like i don 't even even like going there simply because it it demands sort of a blunt answer that mm-hmm. sort of just like tries to nip it in the bud and well you can't you can 't trump this question or answer, so i 'm just going to throw it out there it 's like it's it's more than that <clears throat> One thing I say is if if we get hung up on the fact that well how could he pray to himself you know it 's like well there 's a lot of answers to that, and I hate to even mention them, but I guess I, I will it's this idea that maybe it's to demonstrate that in all aspects of our life, we're supposed to pray. And Jesus was a person who had to pray, right? And he, and he has to do these things. Is it is it a stretch to think that God's spirit could still be fully in heaven and God's spirit could still be in earth at the same time? It's like, I can think of harder things, but I don't know how it happens, right? But I yeah. can't explain how it happens. But the fact that it was happening and did happen, is that the the limit of your faith that somehow i can't go beyond this idea mm-hmm. that jesus was in the garden and if he was praying to someone else well he had to be a separate person well, oh, well. you know it's the physical entity of him but it's it's one god and
0: it's like you, you realize and like it, that that being that person play, praying in the garden doesn't have any male dna in his body right he was born <laughs> of a virgin through conception of the holy spirit so we can't Limit him to uh, a physical man praying to uh, a deity. Uh, he's he's man. He's God in the flesh, but he's also not completely God, in, you know, completely flesh. He's he's not born like you and I were, Corey. Right? Yeah. There was no dad that came and yeah. impregnated Mary, and then so we can't always fully see him as <laughs> he's as enough man as he can be, so that we can be in his presence. But he's also not completely man.
1: that's a good point yeah and who, who knows how the dna part fits in at all right yeah, i mean it's like there is I don't. <laughs> yeah yeah it is right exactly and i i don't I don't have any understanding of that, and I don't need understanding of that right. either, right? Well, I mean, the, the thing exactly. is, there was
0: no intercourse, there was no conception from sperm egg like we see now. He exactly, is something more, and so we, we
1: you got to give him some credit, right? Right, and yeah. in our
0: analogies, we also we always have to pull back a little bit, and like he's showing us some things, but he's also not completely. Uh, he's part God. He's he's. Well, as we're talking about now, <laughs> as
1: we're not, and and that's that's a big difference. That that's a huge difference. You know? and
0: so I like I like the simple statement on one for Israel, where where they just say that, and it's like Abinadi died for that. Can we just accept the plain truth and not stumble anymore that <laughs> that God will take on flesh and will dwell among us to atone for our sins? Yeah. If it,
1: just moving forward with that, it's like if we did that. We would be light years beyond where we 're at, but it 's like because we see all these other you know Zion building projects and all these things, it's like no we haven 't come to, we don 't have a foundation yet we we don 't have the basic foundation on which to build the walls, and the basic foundation begins with who the father is and who jesus is mm-hmm. that's that 's where it 's got to be and and you know I just picture you know going back to something you said about um Oh, just this idea that, you know, can you imagine going over to Israel and, and the fact that at least with, you know, it might be one point, but it's the main point that God became flesh. This collective group of restorationists who basically don't get that single message Going over to Israel and trying to teach, well, you know, there's three people in heaven, and you know, you you might get with him, or you might get with like you said, mm-hmm. the lesser God, and all these things, these things we talk about, but how, just like, it's it's totally, I don't even I don't even know the strong enough adjective to use. It's just it's so beside the point of truth that there's. I, I don't think they'd give us even the time of day, you know, if we, if we started sharing these things, like, here's, here's what we're here to tell you about the gospel of the things you don't know, you don't really get to be with God and salvation. And, you know, it's just a few people do. And if you're really good, well, you join our church and you do these things. And it's like these little mantras we've shared forever and ever about what we think the restoration is. And it's all beside the point. The, the points come back to what the message of the Book of Mormon is, that we come to those points and we hold on to those and, and really nothing more until God gives us something else to hold on to. And he hasn't yet, but yet we took what he gave us and we're holding on to other things instead.
0: I In my personal life, um, I desire and, and I want to allow Jesus Christ to be my, my everything. Um, I, I that he's mighty to save. That uh, I, w- I want to be like the the woman that's uh, just crying tears on his feet yeah. and washing them with her hair and uh, and recognizes him uh, as his as her great love. And I and I've recognized in my life that I've maybe looked at Jesus and not really known what to do with him and and always had on my other side of my brain this this mystical, uh, deity that lives wherever heaven is. That's the father. Um, that's the, the almighty creator. And what do I do with him? I, I surely don't want to pray to the wrong God Cause I am not supposed to pray to Jesus, but I can pray in his name, uh, unless he's with me. And then I can pray to him and all of these things get so intertwined and messed up and maybe keeps me from just fully embracing, um, who Jesus Christ is and when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And I just put everything else away and focus on Jesus and and how he showed love and who he is. And and that one day I just, I want to be with him. You
1: know, it's interesting when the plates of Limhi were discovered by missionaries who were going out and then they were brought to King Benjamin, um, Back in that part of the Book of Mormon, it's, it's kind of a side story that goes along, but we never really get what happened. Well, putting two and two together, the plates were read by Benjamin, and he shared a little bit of it, but he didn't share all of it with the people. That's why the Book of Ether is tucked in at the end of the Book of Mormon. For this reason, the commandment was they were not supposed to go forth among the people until after Jesus' resurrection. Now, maybe they had them then in the in the days of Jesus and everything, but there was a, a reason earlier on where Jesus didn't want it widely known that he was the Father and that that secret, if you will, was maintained through certain ages of Scripture. Not that Jesus, it's not like Jesus didn't want us to know, but there was a reason where he needed to keep it quiet. And, and that was so he could do his work. Do his work with that. Right. Yeah. And, and so even in King Benjamin's day, what, what I've realized is the reason ether was kept later was because it has the most profound story of God being Christ found anywhere in scripture. And there's many profound statements made, but this is the ultimate interaction of God and, and Jesus and everything, and he tells it in just a few sentences. You know, when when the brother of Jared, when he asked the brother Jared, Did you see more than this? And the brother of Jared wisely says, No, but show yourself unto me. I mean, that's a profound statement for many reasons, guidance for us. But when he reveals himself, he says, Behold, I am Jesus Christ. And now he's standing in the flesh. This this idea that God was speaking at one minute, and then the very next minute Jesus is speaking. It happens actually through the scripture in other places too. We get Nephi uh, earlier in in his writings, and I won't go there right now, but where God is speaking, then Jesus is speaking, and God is speaking, and Jesus is speaking. There's one place where it goes back and forth a little bit. Well, there's reasons for it that I'm just beginning to see now is that when God speaks, he is the Elohim. He is the lawgiver. And there is no breaking of his laws. Oh, yeah, we can break the laws. But there's no changing of his laws for any reason because they are what they are. And he has showed us now through Jesus Christ how the way, the only way back to him was the sacrifice that he had to make for us. And this is something that, you know, again, we don't begin to comprehend the magnificence of that decision of his to die and become our sacrifice. But yet... This Jesus Christ is the Adonai. He is the one of mercy, right? And it's the same being. It's it's just the two aspects of it. And we talked about this. We touched on it, discussing this feathery flying serpent who bit and killed and the same serpent on the pole who healed when we
0: looked to him. Mercy and justice. Yeah, it's the mercy uh, yeah. and justice,
1: right? right? And so we get God who is speaking as the God of justice. And then I realized when we get Jesus, we get God speaking as the God of mercy, right? And telling the law and telling the, the solution. And at the same time, excuse me. So you can take that out. Nah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will, Corey, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, right. 57.04. Okay. <laughs> but this, this idea that, you know, it has to be this way. You see, this is what makes it perfect and complete is that it is the same God. If it's just someone else, the story actually falls apart. There's there's no continuity to it in that, oh, well, I'll be the bad guy and you go be the good guy. It's like, that isn't it at all. And then there's my spirit. It's like, it doesn't tell the story that way. What tells the story is that it's one God who's who made the laws and they can't be broken. But yet the fact that we did break the laws means the same God can make restitution.
0: Right. I, I don't, um, we can't mention enough. The, the purpose of the book of Mormon, not to stumble. Uh, we, we, we say that a lot and, but really think about that. Have we, have we stumbled as a people? Have we, have we been on, 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 Train, you know, shaky ground, and uh, have we have we prospered? Have we not? Have we had debates and misunderstandings? We're not supposed to stumble. At some <laughs> point, you have to exercise faith in the plain. And you pointed out when it says plain and precious, how many times that's that word plain is used, and what it's connected to in the Book of Mormon, and, and we should pay attention to that and. Uh, it's in our language. It's not in a. It does. It's meant to mean what it means to us in our language today. It's not some mystical, you know, different meaning back then. That perfect means complete, not you know, not perfect. And like we we started out with, uh, we we will continue to stumble until we allow things that are supposed to be plain to simply be plain.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, and,
0: and that's, that's, the, that's no more to it. And, and you can debate it all day and say, well, what about this? What about that? And, well, how does this make sense? And try to bring our understanding of man as we know it and, and place it on him. But that's not, that's not how it's supposed to be. You know,
1: could we take that simple idea and could we stand up at Waldo or could we stand up in Mount Air, Iowa, or could we stand up at Colburn or at Parkview or at, in the World Church Auditorium and could we— call on the people to say can you hold on to this one truth that jesus is god the eternal father in the flesh you know and and if we started there if we started there how for one humbled we could become but how simple and plain the truth could become to us in all other things if we if we come to that clarity first you know if we could just simply ask the people to consider not to consider it, but to see this truth and 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 with that go forward in unity, I mean that would be a changing day if it if it could ever happen
0: yeah, and to me that's that's the message that um if I'm going to to talk to you know someone who's homeless and, and living under the bridge and and you don't know what to say to' them, that you bring that message that everything around you that you see created that that creator came down here. The person that made all that came down here and walked upon this earth and and um and died for you that that you'll be able to be with him and that he's coming back to this earth again. Yeah. That, that's a message of, of hope in my opinion. But uh, what else is there to start with? That's yeah. the basis of of the foundation. I love this twenty truths from the book of Mormon and uh, who Jesus is. Yeah. yeah. Anything else you want to
1: No, no, this is good. And just keep holding on to these truths as we walk each other home. All right.